Welcome everyone to Studio Soundtracks, the monthly program that takes listeners behind the scenes of making music for film and television. I am your host, Chandler Poling, and today's show I'm speaking with music supervisor Lucy Bright and Oscar-nominated composer Volker Bertelman. Welcome to the show, you both. Thank you for being here. Hi, Chandler. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Volker, you've been a guest on a previous show, and I'm happy to welcome you back. However, Lucy, this is your first time and uh, a rare appearance for a music supervisor. So I'm excited to kind of dive into the role of what you do, especially for your film Tar. And for those interested in Volker's early appearance, I encourage you to go back into the Dub Lab archives and seek out the episode from August 4th, 2020, when he was on the show. But now... Not only do you two know each other previously, but you also recently worked together on a project, right? A television series? We did. That was yes. such a, a treat. Um, we do. We go way back. But um, this was the first time we'd worked on something where I was music supervising and and Volker was scoring. And it really, it was one of those, I sort of had the dream of, of working with Volker on it because it, right from reading the script, it felt like he was just the one. Um, and it all worked out so beautifully. Everyone was in love with Volker, including John Crowley, the director. So it was a, yeah, it was a real dream project. Yes, yes and that was and called not... uh, Life After Life, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, Volker. No, I just wanted to add uh, to it. It's not always the case that things are working out, you know. So um, I was very happy uh, that things were so easily and smoothly working. And uh, and I think Lucy was right because it, I really loved the, the script and the story. Um, and um, it was also a nice mixture of organic instruments and electronic instruments. So that is something that I really like. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And how did you two originally meet? We first met a long time ago, actually through our mutual friend, Michael Nyman. Yes. Um, and so before Volker and I even worked together, we yeah, we met through Michael. Um, and then I then joined uh, Music Sales, the publisher, now, now Wise Music. And Volker was then signed to to music sales so um yeah we had a nice decade working together with me as his publisher in london <laughs> yes <laughs> yes wonderful. and we had always uh, with uh, wonderful uh, nice lunch breaks together and uh you know it's it's always nice when you arrive in london and uh, you have someone that you know and uh, that you can talk about you know not only music i mean we talked about a lot of other things all things and, uh, and <laughs> went went to went to concerts together and uh, sometimes lucy was saying hey uh, there's a, a show at the barbican and uh, do you want to join and things like that which i really is uh, something that you sometimes even more remember than the actual occasion <laughs> you were in <laughs> london so for <laughs> so uh, i was uh, i was very always pleased about those lunch breaks or the evenings that we spent together yeah we've had fun times together and i have to say that one of the most fun times was being at the baftas with you when you were nominated for lion which was yes. was such a yeah such a special celebration yeah and i mean it, these occasions are also very um 
you know you're nervous uh, you don't know if you get it it's uh, there's a lot of you know uh, vibrant air i would say you know <laughs> so where you we just uh, which where it's nice that you have uh, you can share that with friends in a room uh, rather than being alone i think uh, you know uh, even i mean that we did that as well with dustin which was even a nicer round of yeah you know, no i felt very privileged to to be there with you all. yeah yes yes dustin dustin o'halloran the co-composer of yes. line for those of you uh not in the know i definitely recommend everybody go listen to that score if you uh have not it's wonderfully yeah, beautiful classic yeah, and now you each have, uh, you both have kind of buzzed Oscar films this year, Lucy with Tar and Fulker with All Quiet on the Western Front. It must be really fun to see each other and see your friends kind of get to this level where you're working on these top level projects. How does that feel, uh, you know, on a friendship level? Oh, I agree. I mean, it's, it, I feel like when, when we first met and when, you know, I was already in love with your music and, and, had like a sense that it was so right for film and for for that visual world and of course like along that way you know it's it's totally proven that point lion was a huge moment for for that internationally but i agree like i'm so excited every time i see that something that volker's worked on and, and as you say to have then this kind of incredible um response to the film and to the music it's yeah, I'm super proud. Yeah, but, you know, it's the same. What is nice about that is that, um, I mean, we we are not, we haven't changed in a way. I mean, the, the things are, the scale is changing in a way because I guess we worked a lot on, on things and it's not always a linear development. You have like, totally you know, agree. You yeah. have ups and then you have downs and then you are sometimes struggling with yourself because you feel like, oh, nothing is working really. Or, you know, it's also in between. There are a lot of films that are not, have don't develop the potential. Absolutely. Sometimes the smallest films are like the yes. gems that you feel closest to. Yes. Um, but yeah, I and it's the same with, I would say, uh, C and Lucy now being in a kind of driving seat for choosing music is for me a, a wonderful, uh, you know, feeling because she was always somebody who actually took initiative in a lot of, you know, in a lot of developments. And I think um, I, I, some some don't reach for the driving seat in certain things. So some are just staying where they are but I had the feeling when Lucy was doing more and more films as a supervisor I thought it was so right because it's uh, you know it, it was already in the air all the time but I think there was maybe not the you know the the space to do that step but now I'm I, I think it's a great um, a great next next level and um, I'm I, I love actually that we could do life of their life as a first you know as a first collaboration mm -hmm. together, which is wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. So at the top of the show, we heard a piece from Tar, which Lucy is a music supervisor for. It's a piece composed by Hildur Gunnadottir titled For Petra Vocal. Lucy, uh, what can you tell us about what we heard earlier? So that is such a special piece, and it captures this moment that after Hilda, um, Hilda Gunnadottir had talked to Todd Field and had read the script. And this was the very first thing that she came up with, inspired by the story and the characters. And she literally sent that recording to Todd, an iPhone recording. And, and it sort of, um, it lay the foundations really for the, the whole sound of the film, for the way that they would work together. And um, and so it was really beautiful, even though you don't hear that recording in the film, that because of this genius concept album that they created for the, for the soundtrack album, um, that everyone gets to hear that piece. So everyone can feel like, you know, they, they can listen into um, the true journey of, of that soundtrack actually um that was yeah right at the inception 
Wonderful. Yeah. And I definitely remember the moment that you hear this vocal track in the film. It's a bit of a, uh, when kind of things get a little surreal or when the lead character, Lydia Tarr kind of, to me, gets more desperate in kind of her journey. And uh, yeah, you get this kind of first, to me, a really powerful kind of score moment that it takes you kind of into this kind of surreal world that kind of starts happening. Uh, talk about your role on the film because music supervisors, you know, the job is so different, I feel from project to project. And so I wanna know what did you find yourself doing on TAR? That's so true. That is, it, it, music supervisor is such a sort of a, a different role in every single project. And on this particular uh, film, I mean, for a start, it was a bit of a music supervisor's dream to have to work on something where music is genuinely, a, you know, another character in the film and and so key to the whole process. Um, and I, I came on at a point where obviously there was a lot of music written into the script. Todd had done so much research and um, that was sort of, sort of beautiful framed already um, and I got to work with the Universal Pictures music department with Natalie Hayden with her team who were just amazing so um, the clearances were taken care of by by this team and so really my role was coming in being Todd's kind of right hand woman on the uh, on set to start with because so I went over to Dresden which is where we filmed with the Dresden Philharmonic um, which was an incredible, I mean, experience in itself to work with an orchestra like that, to put in place the sound team and the sort of the the technical side of things that were to ensure that this was going to be captured as a true sort of or- orchestral um, experience for the audience because. Um, we definitely had ideas about how we didn't want it to seem. We want, you know, we didn't want anything to take away from, that people would feel like, oh, it's miming, or the sound would be slightly off, or the it had to feel that so that that moment when when you see Kate kind of you know lift the bat on and the the music starts that the whole audience would feel the power of that from the sound. Um, so. The, uh, a lot of my work was sort of on set with the orchestra, with the sound team. Kate was obviously there. We were still in COVID time, so there was the trickiness of that as well, sort of navigating um, the, the the rules and regulations of that. Um, and then in post, um, that was in the UK, so I was really lucky that um, the edit and sound was done here, so I could spend a lot of time um with Todd with Mona the editor and you know really working out what had to be to be done to sort of take all those elements that we'd spent such a lot of time um and effort to to capture and kind of create that the 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 genuine experience um through that so so that was the sort of the creative and technical side and then right to the sort of the end and I think you're going to play that song later so I don't know whether we should talk about it now but there's a yeah there's a kind of a special moment which might sort of seem very small in the film but it it really says a lot about Todd's dedication to detail so uh... yes yes we will definitely <laughs> we will get to that track but yeah it's interesting to hear you talk about how uh, there's a lot of effort that goes into making uh, orchestras look natural on film and sound natural. Exactly. Because, yeah, because there there's countless um, examples where you can tell that it's just uh, extra or a background person that was given an instrument <laughs> and, and whatnot. So I, I really appreciate to uh, understand the dedication that it went into because uh, as I saw the film, it definitely felt like, you know, it felt very like I was there in the in the hall where they oh, were recording so or where they pleased. were. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's important for, for people. Of, I mean, obviously, I hope the film touches people, whether they've got a deep interest in classical music previously or, or not. But for those sort of, you know, the real the people who really know about classical, I remember seeing some comments before about, oh, it's going to be another, you know, sort of miming thing and we're, you know, where an actor tries to look like they're playing the cello. And I was like, no, this is like, 
the opposite. We, you know, we tried so hard to make sure that it wasn't that. So I'm hoping that the kind of the real expert before um, lovers of classical music will feel that too. Yes. Now, was the Russian cellist, was she an actual cellist? She is. Yes, she was fantastic. She's amazing, Sophie. And she's she's English. She's studying in Norway. And yeah, so they really, Todd made that decision to cast a musician first, a musician who could act rather than an actor who could possibly play music. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think she, she yeah, really during, during one of the rehearsals. Yeah. I will. I just want to remark that during one of the rehearsals uh, when they're uh, she's doing a, a solo and uh, I don't want to give away too much, but basically, uh, you know, it ends and the person next to me started clapping. Like oh, I they love were that. <laughs> like they were at a concert. <laughs> like they they were so engrossed in it. So um, yeah, I, I, bravo to all the work that went into that. And I want to come back and delve deeper into Tar later. But uh, I want to turn to Folker because I want to play a track from your film, All Quiet on the Western Front. I want to know, first of all, what can you tell us about this film? Because we all know that it was a 1930s feature that won Best Picture, you know, decades ago. But how is this film different than that one? Well, this one is the first uh, version of the book in original German language, and it's done by a German director. So, um, which is interesting because it was a, or it is a German book written in German, and uh, it was never, you know, there was never the rights uh, to to do it for a long time. Um, and uh, Malte Grun at the a producer and Edward, they when they found the script and it was free to do, um, so that they, they could, um, you know, make a film out of it again. They decided to make it in in original language because they felt uh, that it's in a way also the viewpoint of the film is changing, because you know obviously we were in the you know in the after the war after both wars we were in more in a kind of guilt um feeling all the time and uh, i think from that perspective the film is much more um, a film that you know shows the perspective from the soldiers uh, in a different way it's not a heroic film it's uh, more a film about you know the the sense that war makes and uh, of course that there are people you know older generals that are sending young men into their death without uh, thinking about it just like because they they do it you know they make the plan and they send them and that's it and that's a little bit the difference i would say uh, in comparison to a lot of other war films um yeah, and then when you see the when you know when I got the film the first time, I was very impressed how well it was done mm-hmm. um, and how well it was filmed. Um, and yeah, and then and Edward said to me when you um, you know when we saw the first time the film together in Berlin, he said to me, uh, you know, he does he wants to have a complete different score than I've done in my whole life. <laughs> so the pressure was the pressure was on me and I went back home with that uh you know with with those thoughts from him. Um and uh, then I started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, director Edward Berger, he this is your fourth or fifth collaboration with him. And uh I what uh what sort of conversations i mean other than he, that he wanted something different from you but did he give you any sort of specific keywords or or anything or he just let you do what you do which is marvelous yeah. <laughs> and yes. he just trusted yes. he just trusted that you would adapt the script and the in the film into something that he needed well you, you know that's maybe the the uh, the advantage of a longer collaboration with a director you in a way um, you already get in a way the trust uh, and even when he said i want to have something special from you that only i think he wanted maybe to challenge me a little bit more than i'm going back and i'm like yeah oh yeah we've done the fifth film let's you know let's put some violins on there and then that's it so um and we haven't talked much about it it was just like we saw the movie together in berlin um you know we both said uh, let's you know try to capture the you know the kind of dynamics in the film 
but also there was i mean this film has a lot of very loud war scenes so it was there was also a challenge of you know making music for those scenes how much action in a way i put in into the music or how much layers i use that are already in there uh, and then i went back and i had the idea while i was driving home i had the idea that i want to use an instrument from that time uh, because the film you know that there was something in it that was very quite you know felt old to me but there's also a lot of modernism in the picture how how things are filmed so i wanted to keep both and uh, i had this harmonium sitting here from my grand grandmother um, that was that i restored for a long time um, and it was in fantastic shape well-tuned but it was never used before um you know for a film i just had it here and uh, so in the first two days i just wrote this one bass theme that i just sent to him and i said this is i think my theme for the war machine and um he, he wrote me back and he said it sounds like led zeppelin i i love it so from there on, uh, you know, and not in a way like, you know, sometimes you get, yeah, I, I, it's really nice. No, it was like uh, there was the whole family in the back and they were shouting in a way like this is fantastic. So I was uh, I was very uplifted. And that's not always the case. I mean, if you get a, an idea, if you send an idea that is truly yours and you feel like this is exactly how I would love to score the film and you get uh, feedback that says, uh yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe could we go in another direction, then there's already in yourself, there's a little bit of a, the energy shifts into safety mode, into survival, right. survival mode, in a way, you know, <laughs> and beforehand, you go more into risky mode. And that's in a way with me and Edward, it works very well. Wonderful. Well, let's hear a track from All Quiet on the Western Front. This is a track titled Remains.
that track uh, surprises us because it has like a more traditional intro, but then turns quickly into this kind of like blaring effect and like twisting sound. You mentioned a war machine. Uh, how mm -hmm. did you come about creating this piece? I mean, is this the harmonium storyline that you were just telling us? Well, the harmonium is the bass line that does this ba do do. That is always that already comes in the cue beforehand, and that is mm. a little bit like a just iconic for me an iconic three note element that comes every now and then when things are going wrong in a way. And uh, remains is already you know is already a scene after the first after we have already heard the main theme, but here we hear suddenly these kind of like handicapped snare drum player uh, that uh, plays a little bit you know out of sync we had this conversation together and we wanted to have some snare military sounds but in a way that they sound more like that's it's played by somebody who can't play the snare and that is not so easy because when you record a snare player and you want to have him play you know really you know not trained that doesn't work, but it also doesn't work that you've asked somebody from the street, can you play a snare? So we were a little bit, you know, in a, I, or I was a little bit in a kind of situation where I, I felt, how can we do that? And so we prepared all sorts of drums with, with stuff like I'm preparing the piano as well. So we put gadgets on the, on the Gran Casa and on, on snare so that elements jump and so that we get this kind of random randomness in it and um that's what you can hear in that um in that arrangement you hear the the snares every now and then coming in um in the in the film which is not in the queue there is also a, a like the soldiers are marching towards the front so you hear them singing into the queue as well so it's a little bit like a collage where you know the uh, where bells from a church and the choir and this choir in a way are in a way melting into the queue as well so it's a little bit like a like a collage beautiful i love that uh lucy i want to ask when when working on a project and pitching a composer like Falker um to a director or producer what materials do you gather and how do you present the music in a positive way to hope sway their decision it's really interesting because it's a little bit like being a matchmaker, you know, you, you have your idea of who you think would be great for it. And, but obviously it's not entirely your decision. And so you're right. You do present somebody or, or of course, a choice of people. Um, but maybe, you know, still in your mind, you still know who you think out of that choice is really the one. Um, and I mean, Again, like with someone like Volker, who has such a body of work now, it's there's there's a lot of um, different things that w one could send to the director. But I think you've got to think about the script that you're working on, the project that you know this is for, and you want to present the work of that composer that you feel is gonna is going to not exactly. I mean obviously you're not going to present something existing that works perfectly, but that shows that they have the sensibility for that story and, and um, that relationship that, you know, you're going to have to build with the compose with the, uh, the director. Um, so, I mean, probably the basics are whether, you know, thinking about whether you want someone who is, has the capability of doing an orchestral score and, and therefore do you need to sh show that from their existing work? Do you need to show that they do interesting electronic music or whatever it is? But um, yeah, being, and actually fun of, uh, I talk about this quite a lot with, with agents and that, that thing of building a show reel is, is quite a skill to it, I think. Um, and, you know, some people have, better than others but um but generally it's about showing the scope but also uh, you know allowing for them to to click with the project somehow i understand yeah i now i'm curious did you present hilder gunadat here to todd phillips or or did or fields did he choose her todd chose her and had her in mind really early on um 
it's a nice it's well you've seen it but there's the the nice sort of meta thing of she's mentioned in the script um but but yeah he he had her and I I mean I don't really think anyone else could have done it in the way and with, with all the levels of meaning as well as the sort of the the purity of of the music um yeah she's she was almost kind of written into it I would say yeah absolutely and like you said literally into the script (laughs) (laughs) um now I want to play another track from Tar and um let's just talk about this trombone soaked number here's that rainy day it's written by Jimmy Van Heusen. And I want to know how did this particular instrumental recording of the song end up in the film? This is one of the really sort of fun things. It's 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 one of those moments where all your sort of random um understanding of the music business and and contacts and and whatever as a music supervisor suddenly kind of come together and 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 it takes also um a, a sort of a, a studio who were gonna back this <laughs> this idea but essentially what happened is uh, so Todd Field is is a trombonist he he learned trombone from an early age he's a very um uh, technically brilliant musician himself um and he really wanted this very specific recording um of the standard here's that rainy day um, by Irby Green from an album called 21 Trombones. And it was an album from 1967 where Irby brought together 20 other trombone players and they made a whole album um, and released it on a very small label that was um, uh, owned by a sort of a, a guy who was an audiophile, really. Like he he recorded this album on 35 mil. It's like the strangest sort of the whole thing was very specific. And this small label was then bought and sold several times between 67 and, and now. And the Universal pictures music department and i we none of us could track down who now owns this master and of course that means you can't license it if you if you can't i we got to the point where i found erby green's son i found the son of the last owner that we could verify but he didn't know who his father had sold the rights to so it really became as this whole um kind of uh journey but to the point where we ultimately couldn't license it. And so I said to Todd, shall we recreate it? And I found a um, a collective called the, the New Trombone Collective in the Netherlands who had done a record, made a, a concert and live recording of this album, of the whole album. Um, and we couldn't license that because it was a live recording, so it didn't sound exactly right. But I contacted them and they were up for completely recreating this track. And so Todd, uh, Mona, the editor, and I flew to um, the Netherlands. We went to Hilversum, where all the great sort of um, radio studios are. And we got together these um, 20 20 trombones here um, and recorded that, that as the sort of backing track, as it were. And then there was this very specific trombonist, um, Al Kay, who Todd wanted to be the soloist. So he was the 21st trombone, who was on holiday in uh, in Canada. So we, he got into a studio in Calgary and we recorded his solo there. And again, like with all the exactly the same um, microphones and whatever that would have been used in this 1967 recording so it's kind of fun now to 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 play them back to back they are incredibly accurate um and everyone was just was really up for that challenge but it's funny because in a way it's you know it's 90 seconds in the background of a scene some people will watch the film and not even really notice it but um this whole sort of uh, adventure that we went through to um yeah, to get this exactly right. But Todd, yeah, that that's the kind of detail that he loves is something like that. He wasn't just going to, you know, 
settle for another song. <laughs> no, no. Well, let, let's let's hear that track. Here is the track we've been talking about. Uh, here's that rainy day by all of these trombones. I thought it was really delightful and you can uh, you can really appreciate all the hard work and the tenacity that Todd has to kind of get this in the film. So uh, that was really fun. Uh, Folker, I want to pivot to your other film that you scored this year, uh, a Norwegian feature film called War Sailor. And I had the pleasure of seeing this film at the Toronto International Film Festival and it was really remarkable. Uh, I thought the film was really well done. I know I think it's Norwegian, Nor Norway's um, highest budget film ever uh they spent a lot of money on this and it shows and it's wonderful uh was this your first time working on a norwegian film yes yeah it was um, it was actually a german norwegian uh, co-production but uh the norwegian production was the main uh, main production so everything is also done in norwegian language and mm -hmm. all the actors are from norway uh, the director is from bergen in norway and uh yeah, I was uh, very, I was already long time on that film, you know, that I agreed to. And then I think COVID happened and they had, uh, they they were shooting in Singapore and all sorts of countries during COVID. So every now and then I just checked where they are with all the filming because things got delayed. And, uh, but, um, you know, they they finished everything in a in time and then um i had the pleasure to work with gunnar on on that movie and it's it's again a, a, also a war movie which was for me very interesting because i had these two war movies at the same time um but they are completely differently filmed and differently um you know um the, the story is different differently told and uh that made, for example, the war, the war sailor uh, film. They, Gunnar, always wanted to have very delicate, um, small instrumentations of, um, you know, like three instruments, four instruments, um, 
and um, also a little bit awkward sounding. So I, what I did is I asked the cello player to come to my studio. It was a very, um, I recorded with him many things when it's coming to detuned and destroyed cellos with, because he's using a lot of, a lot of paper and uh, metal between the strings. And, you know, he has one cello that he's just not ruining, but he's working on it very, very wildly. So I asked him to, to join me on, um, you know, playing, playing some of the sounds in there. And I think that was very helpful because suddenly even uh, just a simple pizzicato line suddenly appeared like, oh, what is that? What instrument is that? Or where is that played with? Um, and, you know, I learned a lot about, um, yeah, to record things maybe in a specific way makes it not necessary to overdub them with tons of other instruments. Sometimes it's just that instrument that is already, you know, giving the character to the movie. Now, what's surprising is that both of your films uh, center around war, and it's a topic I feel has been avoided for a while, but it seems mm -hmm. like the market's returning to it because we also have Sony Pictures Devotion amongst other kind of war films coming in. So I just wanted to know, how did you balance your work life and mental health while dealing with two kind of gruesome war films? Like it's got, I, I don't know if they were spread out in the schedule, so you had a little bit of a breather, but I would imagine doing two war films back to back would be exhausting. Yeah, you know, I mean, of course, you don't uh, watch certain theme, scenes uh, like a hundred times. Sometimes I'm just making the, the picture very, very small. Once I've, I have the outline and I just see certain movements so I know where I am. But I don't watch the film always on full screen with everything around me. Um, and secondly, I recognize that, I'm, I mean, I was born in a very small village uh, in the center of Germany my my mother uh, and my father are now over 90 so they were both uh, experiencing when they were in the age of 10 and 14 uh, the second world war so in my um in my family there were always war stories about destroyed schools uh, you know whenever we played in the forest there were bomb graders uh, where I just felt like, oh, why is there a hole in the in, in the woods? <laughs> and so, and then we got, uh, we knew that we don't have to, we have to watch out for, for you know, um, bombs that were not exploded in the Second World War. So every time my parents said to me, when you go in the forest, please don't, if you find something that looks like a bomb, um, you know, don't touch it or don't, you know, don't just tell us and we will tell the the guys that are taking care of that um so there was a lot of stories around that so when i see a war film of course it's a it's a different thing when you see it in so realistic like in uh, um you know all quiet on the western front which is very brutal and very um you know uh, breathtaking in a way in a in a i would say in a depressed way um at the same time you know, you you see in the actual um, uh, situation in the world, you see how fast suddenly things can change just by one decision or by one person that is getting into power because 50% uh, are not interested anymore in politics. So suddenly the 50 that are left over, uh, suddenly the majority is a, let's say, uh, um, is voting for a party that is extremely aggressive. And suddenly we as peaceful people are suddenly uh, ruled by uh, people that are very, um, you know, are actually putting us in a in a strange spot. So yeah. I think suddenly the whole story becomes a much more closer, um, you know, uh, connection than I would say three or four years ago. I, I would say a war film would maybe get me out of my comfort zone but right mm. now i feel there's not so much difference in my in the everyday news so in a way um i i try to balance myself out with uh, you know with walking and i'm i'm going outside with with you know with my dog or with my son um and we we have a lot of uh, positive uh, things in our lives that are yes. you know are healthy so we're balancing 
or I'm balancing it with that out. But in general, I'm trying to not watch brutal scenes too many times. Good. I think that sounds very healthy. <laughs> yeah. um, now, let's hear a track from War Sailor. This is a track titled Getaway. This was really good. I also it has a similar grinding tempo, at, almost like you're in the bowels of the ship. Like it, it's a really, really textural piece, and I really appreciate it. And and before we reach the end of the show, because we've been talking so wonderfully, and I want to make sure that we get in Lucy's final piece, which is a uh, the continuation or whatever the four Petra, but it's an intr instrumental version. We heard the vocal at the top of the show. And next we have the recording session called For Petra from the soundtrack to Tar. And here it is right now.
As I mentioned, we have had a great show. I'm so uh, so happy that I got to be, be able to talk to you. I wish I could talk to you more. I could feel like I could talk an hour to each of you, but to split the time, you know, we have to make do. And I always ask this question of every person that's on my show. And Folker, I know you already answered this, but you can change your answer if you feel like it. But what was the first album you purchased? And what was the last thing you listened to? Oh, if I say now the, a different thing than in my last uh, show, <laughs> you know, it, uh, I have no. Maybe you should, you should listen to the the, the last podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. August fourth, twenty twenty. You could hear Fulker's first album. <laughs> Lucy, what what about you? <laughs> God, the first album. I think back then I was probably thinking buying singles, but like those are the ones I can remember more, and really kind of random ones. Funny enough, I can really remember. And it was sort of before I could have bought it myself, but I asked for um, Paul McCartney did the song for Spies Like Us, this film. And I remember loving the film and asking for the, that seven inch when I was, I don't know, like eight years old or something. So so that's the one that really sticks with me. I can remember like, you know, it's probably the, the record that I learned to like use the turntable with, was that little seven inch listening to it over and over again. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for both being on the show studio soundtracks only on dub lab radio. Our outro music will be another piece from all quiet on the Western front by Folker. This one is titled make sense of war. So thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Folker for being here. Thank you. Chandler. Thank you.